The views and opinions that are expressed in this and future podcasts are not the views coming out of the State Office of African American Affairs and are not the views coming out of any other state agency, including the governor's office. I'm Danny Golden. And I'm Devin Williams. And this is Re-Educated, a podcast brought to you by the New Mexico State Office of African American Affairs. Welcome, everybody, to Re-Educated, a podcast where we're going to rethink, relearn, and get re-educated on many topics concerning the Black community here in the state of New Mexico. The purpose of the podcast is to educate the community on environmental, social, and physical inequities and challenges that Black communities must deal with and what can be done to empower the Black community to help them navigate through the understanding of legislation and policy on a micro and macro level. I like to say that we're talking solutions and taking action. We want to make sure that from the very beginning, our audience knows we are not only talking to our melanated community, but we're reaching out to our allies as well. Just to remind you all that it takes a community to change a community. And so we have to continue to work together, empower each other. And you know, your black brothers and sisters are really struggling right now, especially with the climate of what's going on. And so continue to support us, continue to be allies and continue to help us mobilize as we get through these troubling times. Definitely, although we are in troubling times, which we'll be exploring, we don't want to miss talking about all of the wonderful things that people in our community are doing, that different organizations in our community are doing. So we will definitely be highlighting those folks later on in our podcast. Our topic for this episode is going to be Black Cultural Centers and Higher Education. And Devin, what is a Black Cultural Center? Well, according to the Association of Black Cultural Centers director and founder, Dr. Fred L. Hort, Black culture and multicultural centers rose out of the student protest and other activist movements of people of color in the United States for social justice and cultural recognition on the college campus, specifically pertaining to the University of New Mexico and New Mexico State University, where they are able to make a confident transition into college, experience culturally relevant programs, and additional resources that they might not get anywhere else on campus. Right. So there are several reasons why a Black cultural center is important in these higher education institutions. But before we get into that, we'll be talking about the importance of these BCCs. We kind of wanted to go back just a little bit to reintroduce ourselves to the origins of Black cultural centers. And I think it's important to go back further than the origins of that, just to the origins of higher education. Not long after European settlers began to arrive in what would become the United States, the first institutions of higher education were founded. These were collectively known as the colonial colleges. The first colonial college was Harvard College, founded in 1636 in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Other notable colonial colleges include Yale, Princeton, Columbia, the University of Pennsylvania, Brown, and Dartmouth. Of course, there was a period of time where no Blacks were allowed at any of these institutions, but we saw a slow trickle of Blacks being accepted to these institutions starting in the early 1800s, followed by a series of 
Supreme Court rulings in the mid-1900s that ordered many of these universities and colleges to allow Black students to attend school with white students. Black cultural centers go back to the early 1900s, but weren't really popularized until around the 1960s. Even at that stage, I mean, can you imagine nine, early 1900s oh, being a Black person yeah. at one of these institutions? You know, we appreciate our ancestors for laying that foundation and pretty much setting the blueprint for success and being able to navigate these colleges because just being in that space as a Black person, I could only imagine the hardships and trials and tribulations that they faced, and so. Right, definitely much different times, oh, much yeah. harder times. But even though, you know, it's, it's 2020, we're still, I'm still getting stuff in my feed no, where no. it's like, the first Black this. <laughs> And I'm always shocked. Like, I'm I'm shocked because it's like, it's 2020, but we have to keep in mind that we still face some challenges, especially these students who are at institutions that are predominantly white or non-Black. Um, it's important for them to have a safe space where they can see people that look like them in all different areas of study and fields. And I think that it brings us together and gives us a sense of self and a sense of our people and a sense of uh, what we can accomplish. And it keeps us attached to those who came before us and, and yeah. did, you know, achieve these these great things. So. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, just the dynamic of universities in general, because we do have HBCUs out there. Mm -hmm. We do have those uh, predominantly Black institutions. But in the case of New Mexico, we have uh, our uh, Hispanic serving institutions and mm -hmm. our PWIs, our predominantly white institutions. And so just having a different understanding of those dynamics and specifically when it comes to New Mexico, because a lot of times we as Black people are considered statistically insignificant. Mm -hmm. And it's not only in terms of like population in general, but also on these campuses, there's not a huge representation in terms of numbers for uh, black students. And it's, it's it's difficult. It's tough. And it's... Did you want to hear some of those numbers? Yeah. I have some. I'm, not, I'm sure you know them. But just so that our audience can be aware and kind of have some context to this. Okay, if we zoom out to... New Mexico as a whole. We have a population of 2.1 million people. Hmm. Only 1.91% of that 2.1 million is Black. And these are U.S.-born Black folk. Um, I think the number is about 0.3% hmm. for folks that are immigrants from other countries yeah. that are black. Um, zooming into where we are in Albuquerque, which is, you know, we're not only going to focus on Albuquerque, but I'll just use this yeah. as an example, being that we'll have a guest um, who is the head of a black cultural center here in Albuquerque. 2.96% um, black students at UNM, mm. the University of New Mexico. So one would see that number and be like, yeah, that's really not a lot of people. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that when you're talking about thousands of students, 
2.96%. I mean, it's students nonetheless, you know what I mean? Students that have uh, paid money to attend, students that have worked hard to gain scholarships and, you know, financial aid and other things of that nature so that they can get a degree. And those students matter. Yeah, they're def- not statistically insignificant. Oh yeah, <laughs> you and know? we uh, these students also represent a large part of, in terms of culture, influence mm-hmm. when it comes to a lot of things. And so, just the when it comes to music, you know, when it comes to um, appearances, you mm-hmm. know, hairstyles. These students are a part of that culture because Absolutely. they're black, and so people don't understand that just because it's a small number doesn't mean that you have the right to ignore them or not allocate resources for right. them or help them to be successful. And again, uh, looking at uh, these black cultural centers, we need a center specifically for these kids, especially being on a predominantly white institution or Hispanic serving institution. And a lot of times um, people have the argument of, why not do a multicultural center and lump everybody together? Mm. Inherently, all these different cultures and all these different ethnic groups have different practices, different ways that they do things. Different and needs. Exactly. Yeah. And so um, we definitely, there definitely needs to be a focus with these specific uh, cultural groups. And so having a black cultural center versus a multicultural, you're able to focus on the needs of a specific group and mm-hmm. specifically pertain to black kids and black students on campus, we need to see each other. Yeah. Because we are a very small population. There's not a lot of us that are represented on campus. And so we really need to have just that safe space to where we can come together, see each other, see familiar faces, and then right. feel empowered because of that. And that empowerment comes from the element where these Black cultural centers not only connect us to the students who are around us and striving toward the same goal of getting our education, but the students, you know, who have already graduated, you know, our alumni and people like that, when you see that success up close and personal firsthand and you you're just able to envision it for yourself. That gives you, like you said, it empowers you and it shows you, you know, the future that you you are able to have and obtain. There are some challenges, you know, and there are some challengers because I know that, you know, we can't have this conversation without bringing up some of the misconceptions about Black cultural centers. Yeah. And so I wanted to bring up a couple of those um, commonly held misconceptions about BCCs, one being that they further isolate Black students who typically make up a small student population at these uh, traditionally white or predominantly white institutions. Do you feel like that, you know, what what is your piece on that? Because I personally don't feel that it's isolating to unite you with your culture and have you remember who you are. You only can further contribute to the diversity of that institution by knowing where you come from and what you bring to the table. Yeah, so for me, I believe that it's helped me a lot being a former athlete at the University of New Mexico and not really being connected with 
other black students on campus, except for my uh, peers and fellow um, student athletes. Yeah. It was difficult and it was just a very big disconnect. And we'll talk more about athletics and those dy- dynamics um, later in the season mm-hmm. and everything. But not until I came over to African-American Student Services at UNM and really interacted with other Black students on campus did I really feel a connection, feel more at home, if you will, being away from home because I was from a predominantly Black area. And so just being able to connect with the other students, being able to, you know, formalize study groups, being able to figure out and um, just uh, talk about experiences that we have being Black on campus, that just provided another dynamic of empowerment and stress release that I wouldn't have had if I didn't go to that center. And honestly, uh, because of the support that they gave me, I was able to achieve my master's at the university, which again, um, if I didn't have the support of uh, African-American Student Services, it would have been a lot more difficult to achieve that. We're going to take a quick break and hear about some of our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Stick around. Re-educated, brought to you by the New Mexico State Office of African American Affairs. Aimed to study, identify, and provide change by means of support, advocacy, and resources relevant to the African American community. As a reminder, every voice matters. Make sure you are counted in the 2020 census. Since 1912, Loveless Health System has been committed to meeting the growing healthcare needs of our Albuquerque community. They're invested in bringing people, providers, and technology together to ensure patients receive the best care possible. So we're going to be hearing from Brandy Stone, who is the African-American Student Services Director at the University of New Mexico. We were able to get some insight from her on why Black cultural centers are so important in higher education settings. Also, some insight on the biggest challenges facing these centers, as well as what can be done to mitigate these challenges. Well, I think that they're important because they really serve as a beyond a safe space for students. And so in New Mexico, that's really important because we're the minority of the minority. And so it's a unique experience to be a black student at the University of New Mexico. And it's important that they find community in a center like ours. So Brandy, being the African-American Student Services Director at the University of New Mexico, what are some of the biggest challenges that you see within that space? I think some of the biggest challenges is just because of COVID. Uh, We're not sure what budgets could look like as far as like legislative funding support in the upcoming years. And so we've, um, this past two years, we've been able to secure additional funding to expand our programming. And so, um, you know, given the uncertainty, we're not sure that we can continue some of those retention and recruitment initiatives. Another challenge is just the space. We're located in a historical building in Mesa Vista Hall. And although we're central to campus, which is a benefit at the cultural center, uh, we are a small space. And so we can only accommodate so many students at a time in our center. 
And those are big challenges. And I think that those challenges are probably not, I haven't visited every <laughs> university, but I would say that those challenges are, are probably not just uh, specific to this Black Cultural Center. A lot of uh, students' uh, unions and um, African-American student services, these BCCs, are underfunded. They don't have adequate building space. Um, and that's a problem. How do you feel these challenges can be mitigated? I don't know. I don't have an answer for how to, like, reverse the funding challenges as a result of COVID. Um, but I do know that we are in the works of putting together some strategic campaigns to fundraise um, with our alumni. But we're having to creatively think through what are some, like, strategic ways that we can ask people to give that doesn't feel like it's... Um, significantly impacting their ability to put food on their table for their own families. Um, and then as far as space, there's been talk about in previous years is a time to look for a new location for our culture center. But um, I don't know that I have an answer yet because the research shows that the further out your culture center is from the heart of the campus, the less likely students are to access it. And so we are in a prime location. You just as a historical building can't build up or out anymore. So I think as a new director, those are things that I'd like to work, try to work through in the next two to three years. Absolutely. And I wanted to ask you, Brandy, is it possible for, you know, not just private individuals, but for private organizations and businesses, are they able, are you able to accept funding from those types of donors? Yes, absolutely. So we have a giving page. Um, and if you log on to www.afro.unm.edu um, and you click on the about tab, there's a giving page. And we are so thankful and grateful to any donation, however large or small it is. Right, because these dollars go toward expanding your reach. And can you just really quickly just kind of explain what that funding helps you, you know, and, and the cultural center to accomplish for the students? Sure. So we have about 12 different signature programs. One of our most popular is the um, Black Cultural Conference, which started off as just a institution-wide opportunity for Black students to hear from our community members in a conference setting. And really, it's turned into a Southwest conference but um what's so and I'll, I'll just share about this program but what's so unique is that UNM is a research one institution and um oftentimes we don't see our black student scholars involved in research so this gives them an opportunity to present their research that they're working on to present what they're doing in their student groups and to put that in their um, CVs and resumes to show as they matriculate into graduate school and then into the professional workforce that they have these public speaking skills, these critical thinking skills, these research backgrounds. So it really provides students and community members so many different um, opportunities to just grow and learn. That reminded me of when I did research uh, at the first Black Cultural Conference on uh, Black mentorship. But yeah, it definitely uh, was a phenomenal experience just being able to get into that and really um, you know, try something new and Absolutely. push boundaries. What do you say to, to people who don't quite understand the depth 
and the reach of how Black cultural centers can positively impact the lives of Black students? I think I would say two things. One, the data shows that it's working. So in African-American student services, we have a retention rate between 89 to 90% of students that utilize our center come back to school the next semester. Um, students that utilize our center have a slightly higher GPA than the average UNF GPA and are more likely to graduate within four to five years than their, peer, than their black peers who don't use the center and then just their general peers at UNF. And then the second part I would say is that identity development shows that positive reinforcement of black identity in spaces like this within higher education, given like racial battle fatigue and given imposter syndrome, like we know that these things positively reinforce students to then matriculate and be retained and ultimately graduate. And so I would just say the data shows that it works and the theory show it works. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And no, and that's really what we have to come back to. I feel that a lot of people who are naysayers in that regard maybe haven't seen the data. It's like, have you actually read up on it? Have you ever even known a person that has benefited from these types of cultural centers? You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, that's a perfect answer. The data shows that they work. <laughs> My last question is, what do community members need to do in order to support your organization? Well, Afro is considered a home away from home. So I just want community members to know that if you've ever been in contact with our office, like this is still your home. And if you have a skill set that you want to teach, reach one, teach one. If you want to teach any of our students, any of your skill sets that you have, we're more than willing to provide an opportunity to host a workshop with you or um, include you as a mentor into one of our various mentoring programs. Even um, if you just want to stop by and say hi and talk to students, like we want you to come back and give back. So what I hear you saying, Brandy, is that your time is worth as much as your money. Yes. That's beautiful. Did you have anything else that you wanted to add? I know we've kind of asked our questions. I would just like to say thank you for giving us this platform to share out what we do. Because I think a lot of people um, aren't really sure what we do. And so I, I just thank you for giving us this opportunity. And I thank all of our community members that continue to work with us and those that are new that are forming bonds with us. Um, I just thank everybody for being supportive of our office and the work that we're doing. Aw, well, you're very welcome. We're so grateful that we have this connection with you, that you were willing to come on this platform and share your amazing black girl magic with us. Um, and yeah, it means the world. And I hope that we'll be hearing from you very soon. Yes, thank you. So I think what I wanna get back into is how this plays out in New Mexico. So even though we are a small percentage, I kinda wanna touch on the whole minority majority state yeah. farce. Because that's what I think it is. Like yeah. I don't, I don't want to say it's a farce, but I think that a lot of times when that is thrown around, it's like used to not diversify even further. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like a cop out because it's like, oh well, we're a minority majority state, 
but I think that that is misleading because we still have we still have the racial problems. Oh yeah, that we see in other states. So and did you kind of want to get into that? Yeah. So when you look at it, yes, we have smaller statistics. However, the use of tri-cultural state and the use of saying there's only three cultures, which is white, native, and Hispanic, that completely marginalizes the Black community, especially because there's a prominent Black history when it comes to New Mexico. And we'll get more into that as yeah. we go into <laughs> some of our other episodes. But History lessons with Danny and Devin. I know. <laughs> we'll have a, we'll have a, a, sub, a sub podcast yeah. going over like specific history. I'm going to talk about like Black Dumb yeah. and uh, the first Black conquistador mm-hmm. to come to New Mexico. But yeah, I think, um, again, as you said, it's in some ways a cop-out because there is a very present Black community here, especially in light of what's been going on nationally. And mm-hmm. one of the things that this community has been struggling with is not having support and resources, even though we are a part of New Mexico mm-hmm. and just having most of the resources allocated to um, Native Americans and Hispanics, you know, mm-hmm. and not saying that they don't need resources, but we need them too. We're not invisible, right? Exactly. Like, and each of our... Uh, communities has its problems, you know, and we have our challenges. We have overlap within those challenges, but nevertheless, some of our challenges are unique to Mm -hmm. each community. And just like you were saying, just because we're a small percentage doesn't mean that we don't need that funding. I think what's interesting is that we've seen some of the biggest and most robust Mm -hmm movements coming out of this state and this city in particular as it pertains to the uh, Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. Um, We have an active chapter here um, of Black Lives Matter that a couple months back held some really large, really notable uh, protests and peaceful, I might add, Mm. marches because some people will try and say otherwise, but we can talk about that another time (laughs) as well. But I witnessed it. And so we do have the power to galvanize the community. We do have a voice. And I think what happens when we overutilize terminology like tricultural or minority majority state, we then stomp that out. You know what I mean? That language is naturally exclusionary. We're excluding people that are doing notable work, that are doing important work in the community to move our whole community toward equality and toward justice, Um, not just on a state level, but on a national level, right? Because we're all a part of this um, in, in, even though we're in different parts of the country, we're all wanting the same thing, which is like you said, we, we, our communities need resources. Uh, one thing that is so disheartening for me to hear from our guests is, you know, they're at the heads of these cultural centers and, you know, they already can't get funding as it is, but then they're hit with something like this pandemic, this Mm -hmm. COVID pandemic, and it totally derails all of the work that they've been doing to 
to obtain that funding for their programs. And I think that that actually goes to show just how much we actually need to focus on these centers because to a certain extent, everyone's going to be hit hard by the pandemic, but our cultural centers shouldn't be hit the hardest. You know what I mean? Like everyone should be hit hard equally, (laughs) but it kind of just proves the point that, yo, these, these cultural centers can't sustain when met with a huge challenge like this because they were already underfunded in the first place. Yes. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And I think um, you want to get to equality, but it starts with equity. You have a group of innovative people and Black people because we haven't had all the resources that everybody else has had. We haven't had all the opportunities that everyone else has had. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be very creative in the way that we think in the way that we create programs and initiatives Mm -hmm. and in the way that we address and support uh, Black people in the community. And so I just think we really have to look at that equity piece and really figuring out how can we allocate more resources to the Black community specifically because the Black community is going through a lot of challenges with what's going on nationally you know and just being and i know for me uh one of the issues and one of the things that i struggled with was just like the death of these black men Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and it's it's very hard being a black man seeing another black man get hurt Mm -hmm. and not get hurt let alone taken from from us exactly and you know not saying that other people aren't important but it's been highlighted very regularly mm-hmm. to the point to where, you know, people might be desensitized to it because it's happening so regularly. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you see, for me, again, when you see, when I see anybody, you know, getting hurt, getting killed and stuff, like, it's very hard to mm-hmm. deal with. And I can only imagine what these students are going through, especially because they're not only seeing that, but... They also have to figure out what they're going to do for their studies. You have people coming in from different states. And so mm-hmm. there's a whole nother dynamic of cultural shock. Absolutely. In the sense of being from possibly predominantly black communities and mm-hmm. going to a community where you rarely see a black person and mm-hmm. you got to make sure you go out your way to say hi <laughs> just because you might, you don't know when yeah, you don't see another. Yeah, you don't know. Another. You don't know. And I, and I think that's a, an excellent point. And I think you know, being that we're here in this space where there aren't many of us, we still, you know, and and keeping in mind the, conver- you know, the part of the conversation that we just had where yeah. it's like, oh, we're tricultural, we're things like this. For Black people, that experience is so much different than what the people who use that terminology are trying to express. Because yes. while those folks who use that terminology see a minority majority state with lots of brown people are we going to acknowledge that we as black people living in this skin living this life in this state still experience hatred bigotry marginalization lack of resources at the hands of other people of color yes you know we we can't 
I think it's kind of sensitive because we, we tan, you know, we're loving people. So oh, we yeah. want to we want to dance around stuff sometimes. Yeah. We don't want to hurt people's feelings. But at the same time, we cannot glaze over the fact that just because we have very many beautiful brown brothers and sisters in the state of New Mexico, sometimes, and this is because of the insidiousness of white supremacy that is systematic, those people are affected and internalize those prejudices and act them out on their Black brothers and sisters. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And I think part of why this is happening is because we have, again, a system that's not built to incorporate people of color, specifically Black people. And I think right. one of the things, again, is really looking at... Um, legislation and bills and mm -hmm. not only looking at the lack of representation of black people in certain positions, mm -hmm. but also when you look at the language of bills, it tends to have a multicultural lens, which overlooks black people. And just not having that language to where, you know, it's really empowering the black community. I think we really need to um, shift our thinking and shift our approach in terms of making sure that language is in there. Absolutely. And I think that that's kind of reflective of where we are on a national and global level in the yeah. shift that we're having to make. Like, instead of saying people of color all the time, if you mean Black people, just say Black people. You can't be in the gray area when people need funding. You can't be in the gray area when people need you know, programs and when, when legislation needs to be changed. We have to be very uh, deliberate in what, what we're saying so that we can be deliberate in our actions. And, you know, I'm glad that you brought up um, legislation. I mean, that's kind of how, from my understanding, <laughs> um, you know, OAAA came came to be because there were some things that had to happen and dollars that had to be moved around and people that had to use the terminology black people <laughs> in order to recognize us, in order to give us a seat at the table when it comes to creating a an establishment, a cultural center, a department of the state that pays attention to the needs of this very small yet very significant uh, you know, group of, of folks. Yeah, definitely. And it goes back to what they experience and what Brandy had highlighted in regards to Black cultural centers. Same holds true for a Black center for the state, you yeah. know, having a Black state agency. Right. You have to have that representation and it's necessary and it's critical, especially if we're talking about mobilization of a community. And so we need to continue to again, empower, you know, support these Black centers. Absolutely. And again, looking at the legislative side in terms of mm -hmm. the language of bills, and that's going to be mm -hmm. going on internal committees um, when you're looking at it now. Uh, and we're going to talk more about it as we go through the season. But right. um, there are several interim committees that are going on, and mm -hmm. we're approaching a 60-day session, mm -hmm. which that's where you really are looking at it aggressively um, being able to support bills, advocate for bills and what have you. And so mm -hmm. um, continue to do your research uh, when you're looking at legislative processes and what's going on, nmlegis.gov 
is going to be your guide, your handbook for understanding how to navigate these uh, different legislative processes. And um, we need you to advocate for them. You have to understand what's going on and you have to be knowledgeable in order to help change these processes and these issues. Absolutely. I think one thing that we have to make sure to, you know, repeat and highlight something that Brandy said is that, you know, while we're educating ourselves, why while we're doing our civil duties by participating in elections, participating in the census, mm-hmm. um, that's something that, you know, OAAA has been very uh, vocal about and active about is getting everybody counted because that is um, super important when it comes to us being visible. We got to be counted so that we can, you know, get that funding in different places where it's necessary. Um, But on top of that, you know, giving your time, because obviously a lot of us don't have a lot, you know, uh, ample money to throw at everything that we see. But what we can do as individuals and as um, citizens and community members is lend our time, our skills. If we do have a business, you know, there's always, you know, in-kind donations that these Black cultural centers can benefit from receiving. Um, And, you know, reaching out, because I think that you'll find that with any uh, Black cultural center, you know, um, the African-American Performing Arts Center, any of these places and organizations that we're talking about, they're not going to refute your help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're they're going to take your help. So however you can give it, give it. Um, but once again, while you're educating yourself, uh, we hope to be a resource to the community. Um, we would love it if you go and visit our webpage. Um, it's the Office of African American Affairs webpage, and that's oaaa.state.nm.us. So you can go there to find out more about Devin and me and our personal journeys and how we came to be on this podcast together. We want to do a really good job of putting some action items out there for folks as far as petitions, information on who to call, who to email in order to have your voice heard and to make change in the community. And also, uh, I know we'll be putting some other information up there just for you to read and to consume so that we can all keep ourselves educated and we can all keep ourselves knowledgeable. And in doing so, I think that connects us Mm -hmm. because that's really what I think we're lacking on a lot of different aspects of, you know, all of these issues that we're talking about. If you open your mind, you educate yourself, you take the time to listen to somebody that maybe looks a little different than you, maybe has a different experience than you or a different background, that's when I think we end up seeing the breakthroughs. And that's why I think we're seeing so much allyship now in 2020, as opposed to like five years ago. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When we when we were having marches and we were having protests and all of that, we didn't, you know, we didn't see a lot of, uh, you know, non-people of color. Yeah. <laughs> but now we're seeing it. And I think it's just, it was a matter of a, a shift, you know, people opening their eyes and listening to people who 
are saying, hey, this is my experience and you're killing us. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're not getting adequate education. We're not getting adequate health. We're not getting the privilege of being a full U.S. citizen by literally just staying alive. Yeah. So I think that that's important. And I hope our audience thinks <laughs> it's important, too, if you're listening then you must, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. And I think, you know, again, as you begin to educate yourself and understand what's going on and really being able to holistically understand um, the inequities that are going on in the Black community as well as what the Black community is trying to do in order to um, have a voice and mm-hmm. um, empower um, for us to empower ourselves and really, you know, have a face and, you know, have a presence in a lot of mm-hmm. things, I think it'll be easier to understand how to advocate for the Black community. Right. And right. so we encourage you to continue to educate yourself, to re-educate yourself. <laughs> there you Definitely. Go. Uh, to rethink, relearn, re-educate. Re-educate, boom. And really just take the time to understand, even if it's for you, understand what's affecting you. Because essentially, Mm -hmm. when it comes to, like, voting Mm -hmm. and it comes to um, census, a lot of people don't understand how it benefits them and how they're affected by it. And so as you learn and educate yourself on, okay, this is the type of bills that's going to affect me in this way. This is what's affecting me now. Understanding your history, understanding how that um, impacts what you can and can't do in the future, I think you'll have a better understanding. And I think specifically with the census, a lot of people don't understand that billions and billions of dollars are, you know, allocated for communities that fill out the census. And so as you're filling out the census, that's another uh, chunk of change that's going to be allocated back to you. And so... Um, especially with New Mexico being a very poor state and, you know, we're struggling in a lot of different areas. We need everybody to, you know. All hands on deck, y'all. Exactly. (laughs) So next we're going to hear from Kimberly York, who moved to Las Cruces in 2015 from Cleveland. One of the first things she did was contact the Black Programs Office at New Mexico State University about opportunities to volunteer. After years of mentoring and volunteering work, York recently stepped into a new role as Interim Director of Black Programs, effective July 1. York brings with her to NMSU a background in clinical social work, nonprofit leadership, and youth development. So I would say that cultural centers are important for a number of reasons. Number one, um, in the state of New Mexico, um, you know, Black and African Americans represent a small percentage of the population. And even more specific to um, my role as the interim director at Black programs uh, at New Mexico State University, in our city, we represent less than 2% of the population. And so when you think about higher academia and you think about Uh, emerging leaders and professionals, cultural centers become extremely important because they lay the groundwork for avenues to explore uh, career 
uh, paths that typically aren't known to us, especially in a region um, like New Mexico, which is a binational uh, bi region here in Las Cruces. The other reason that uh, cultural centers are important is because it serves as a foundational community. You know, our, our uh, culture is all about uh, family and whether it's blood or not, you think about to uh, typical growing up uh, in a household where the grandmother was also a part of the family. Grandparents were a staple. Our elders are staples in our community. And so cultural centers provide that much needed relevance in, in terms of balancing identity as you emerge as a, um, a, a learning per, a, a learning leader, in, in so to speak, because oftentimes we don't really have especially for uh, first-generation college students, you don't really have that roadmap that traditional students would have. And so having that sense of community serves as a surrogate family for you, which a lot of us are used to um, in our own communities or wherever we're from um, in the world. And so again, for me, um, in my role as uh, director of Black programs, it becomes very important for me to recognize that we have many students that are far away from their home of origin, and many times far away from their uh, families. And so they are looking for that sense of connection um, that sense of home away from home. And so I would um, caution any um, person or any university that does not see the value that um, cultural centers and uh, diversity programs offer to students yeah. of color. How does the racial makeup at your university inform the work that you do? The work that I do is centered on making sure that we uh, recruit and support students of color, um, both in their academic endeavors and also in their sense of developing an identity as a scholar. And so that becomes very important because, again, as I stated earlier, we represent less than 2% of the population here in Las Cruces. And you may hear someone say that we are statistically insignificant. And so it becomes extremely important to be intentional about making sure that students of color, especially black students, understand that they are significant and that regardless of what the statistics say, that they matter in a way beyond just checking the box for uh, diversity, checking the box for affirmative action type of things. But it also promotes an opportunity for them to see the value that they can add to a university. What are some of the biggest challenges facing Black cultural centers at the University in New Mexico? I would say that probably um, financial, and that you know that's true to a lot of cultural centers around the country, but even more specifically in New Mexico, um, where we don't have as many rich resources, financially speaking, and so that crunch takes a toll on budgets that are already um, you know small, and so we have to be more strategic in terms of collaborating with other diversity programs 
programs, but also collaborating across the campus and in the community because sometimes we have to look at things like in-kind support. We have to look at things like how can we leverage resources to better support students um, on a very limited budget. But I would also add to that is the visibility of programs such as Black programs, making sure that we are physically located in a a place where students know that we exist, number one, but then also that it is a welcoming space. And so I would definitely say that those two things uh, are uh, at the top of my list. And then probably a a really close third would be just um, creating a sense of understanding and awareness about the unique needs that students of colors, of students, that students of color have on uh, uh, on campuses where they don't see themselves highly represented. How do we mitigate these challenges? I would say, you know, right now at NMSU, we are in a very um, advantageous position in that the current uh, administration uh, has demonstratively shown a commitment to one, understanding the needs of um, students of color and also putting together some very strategic practical strategies that can be used across campus. And one of those main initiatives that are uh, that is underway currently is we're going to be hiring uh, Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. And that is historic on this campus because, again, historically speaking, those types of needs have not been at the forefront. And so here, again, I can't really speak for, um, you know, administrations prior, but this administration um, is has made a a, a blanket a commitment, um, and we're still working through details. There will always be bumps in the road, but there is a an active and a very intentional commitment about making things better. What does recruiting at the uh, campus look like in terms of Black students, and what role does your center play in that? So, um, being new in this role, I am actually still. Um, uh, putting my wrapping my arms around that, um, going through the data, um, actually uh, working with our admissions department on identifying students that um, you know identify as um, African American or Black. But also the other unique aspect is we have a number of students who self-identify as being biracial, meaning they um, identify as being both um, Mexican of Mexican descent and African American or Mexican or um, self-identified as Latina, Latino, um, or Hispanic. And so it creates a unique opportunity for us to serve the whole student. And so here in Black programs right now, I just finished up a formal listening sessions with students to better understand how we can serve students who not only identify solely as African-American or Black, but also intersect with other uh, races and nationalities. And so that creates for me as the director an opportunity to re uh, reassess how we have been doing recruiting. Uh, we have international students that come from Cameroon, from Togo, from all parts of the world. And so we need to be very intentional about, yes, making sure that we are identifying strategies for recruitment, but retention is also um, a main priority of this office currently. How do you feel the public can help uh, mobilize your uh, Black Cultural Center? 
So one of the main things is to come, become visibly involved. Um, it is extremely important for students to see, again, because we represent less than 2% of the population here in Las Cruces, it becomes extremely important for professionals to be visibly and uh, visibly present, but also accessible to students so that they can have role models um, of their career paths. For instance, right now we need to see more women, uh, black women represented in the field of STEM, uh, science, uh, technology, engineering, and math. And so uh, serving as role models, um, serving as mentors to these students, coming to speak with them, you know, providing opportunities for them to ask questions that um, they probably would never um, have an opportunity to ask. And so that's one thing. The other thing I think that is extremely important is leveraging resources, um, you know, financial resources. So, for instance, alum. Um, I know that currently we have um, an NMSU alum who is uh, a state legislator. And so, you know, having access to her to, to be a champion for black programs, those type of things become extremely important. And so that is also a priority um, for uh, black programs um, in this season because we want to make sure that people see that the work that is being done here, but also providing people with ample opportunities to get involved. We recently had some of our recent alumni reach out to us who want to start a book um, scholarship fund, which is amazing. And so one of the things that comes out of that is students who are struggling to financially to pay for textbooks will now have access to those much needed resources that they need to be successful. I know um, the black community has been dealing with a lot of challenges, uh, specifically with the climate of what's going on nationally. And so um, have there been any uh, programs or initiatives put in place for uh, black students on campus regarding the challenges that are going on? Yes, um, and I'm glad that you brought that up because it becomes at this juncture um, amid the coronavirus um, and the racial tensions that are you know, being sparked across the country, it becomes a fine balance of trying to ensure that we are not overexposing students um, in a way that it totally dis, uh, paralyzes them, so to speak, um, from being able to focus on school because that is the number one reason why they're here. And so I find myself trying to make sure that, you know, while providing the education and the opportunities to have a voice in all of that, it is definitely intentionally trying to balance that with the current stress that they already have. In the summertime, we did do candlelight vigils because we wanted to create a balanced view of how to actively protest, but also thinking more broadly in how we can move things forward. And so, yes, the protests and the vigils are one strategy, but then helping them to think beyond that. And so we held, recently held a, a a panel discussion um, with uh, actually Nicole uh, Beard, who is the deputy de uh, director um, of your office, mm -hmm. having a conversation of, uh, beyond the protest into the movement. And so that movement is how can we figure out ways on this campus to collaboratively work together, hold people accountable where they need to be held accountable, but also creating systemic change in a way that is meaningful and in a way that also recognizes, again, the unique um, 
the unique needs of students of color on this campus, specifically black students, because oftentimes that conversation is overlooked. And so one of the initiatives that is coming out of this is we have been doing Let's Talk About It with staff um, across the campus, as well as holding the president has held, uh, we've held town halls where we get together and people can ask um, questions that they've always wanted to ask and begin those conversations. And out of that, um, we are in the throes of creating an initiative called Stronger Together Through Race Relations. Because again, at the end of the day, we have to figure out a way, one, to hold people accountable, two, to put in the policies, procedures, and also the um, accountability aspects of holding people accountable, but also how can we work together? because that is going to be very key to all of this across the country. We're going to have to figure out how to work together. And so I am trying to empower students to have their voices heard in ways that are not always the typical route of destruction. And so bringing them and empowering them to hold um, conversations with leaders on this campus and with uh, faculty and staff about just some of the everyday lived experiences that they encounter in a way that makes it hit home for um, people who may not really understand why Johnny can't focus on classwork or how um, the curriculum is not designed and uh, to foster and promote um, students of color on the campus. Or even more uh, typical is why is it that students of color don't feel welcomed? And so we are creating platforms for those kinds of conversations. We're also making sure that we are intentional about, you know, this notion of training, which is great, but we can no longer go back to the checkbox thing. We can't do that anymore. We have to be committed individually and um, as a campus and as a community at large to doing the life work that it's going to take to dismantle this um, systemic racism and discrimination. Perfect. Well, I think that's going to be all of my questions. Um, this was this was wonderful. Thank you for again calling in. Um, Our very last segment is the glow where we'll be highlighting individuals and organizations doing great work in our community. For this edition of The Glow, we have Alexandra Andrews, a photographer based out of Roswell, New Mexico. Alexandra reached out to our office after the tragedy of George Floyd to help out with photography at our Roswell COVID testing site. Not only did she help out with photography, but she also helped to facilitate the flow of the testing site. For her volunteer efforts, we've decided to shine light on her business. Please visit her website at www.alexandraandrews.com. So that pretty much wraps our very first episode of Reeducated. Thank you once again to our wonderful guest, Brandy Stone from UNM and Kim York from NMSU. The vision of African-American Student Services, AFRO, is to cultivate Black excellence on the university campus through educational discourse, leadership development, holistic health and wellness practices, 
and community engagement. The African American Student Services Program at UNM provides culturally relevant programs designed to assist primarily African American Black students in making a confident transition and successful adjustment to the University of New Mexico. The City of Albuquerque Office of Equity and Inclusion aims to inspire and equip city government to make Albuquerque a national role model of racial equity and social justice. We'd also like to give a special thank you to our post-production partner, Better Sense. Powered by nearly a decade of audio and production experience, Better Sense exists to help you create your life-changing projects. Go to bttrsnc.com in order to explore how you can awaken the potential of your musical ideas. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast, Reeducated. We hope you were able to rethink, relearn, and get reeducated on some really important topics. Make sure to visit us at our website, oaaa.state.nm.us. See you next time.